Hello and welcome again to Conscious TV. My name is Ian McNay and today my guest is Taria. Hi Taria. Hi Ian. And I've known of Taria for many years and we haven't really met before, properly before yesterday, but she's had a really fascinating story and is a real seeker and it's the kind of person that we love having on Conscious TV because there's a great richness in the story and a, a lot of humanness in the story. So, Taria, when you sent me some notes about your life, the first thing you wrote was, I wanted to know how to die. And I wonder why you started with that. Um, well, death in my life has always been a very, very uh, amazing guide or an amazing door into my um, wanting something different in this life. You know, it started from very early when I was, I think, six. My grandfather died and I was, you know, in order to liven up my grandmother's uh, loss, they sent me to live with her for half a year. So from coming to a very full house and very alive house to suddenly coming to a house where she was dressed in black and she was crying all day long. And uh, it was a really mourning period there. People were uh, incredibly sad. We went to the cemetery every day and it left a very deep impression on me. It's mm. like death, loss, what happens when we die? Where do people go? You know, it really imprinted in myself as something that I, I absolutely wanted to find out about. And of course, they tell you heaven and the rest of it, but it didn't really satisfy me. Yeah, it's quite confusing for a six-year-old to be in that situation, actually, isn't it? And have yeah. to deal with that. And I guess not have many reference points. So really your grandmother and her grief, that was, that was how you learnt to, uh, to deal with death through that, exactly. that in-depth grieving. Yeah. But also it was like something heavy and it was like really something very um, dark. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't something, of course later on I learned that death can be something completely different. Mm. But it was, it was just um, a darkness around the whole thing that I also at the time found quite scary. You know, it's like from being a very loving grandmother to suddenly be somebody who sits most of the time and cries a lot. Yeah, and so it, it was a first, I think the first time I got really consciously in touch with that this life is something else. There's not just only being here, there's also one day we're not here anymore. Mm. You know, and also she really loved her husband. And this whole thing about loving somebody and then suddenly you lose them. It left, a, it, it was a very strong imprint. And later on, when I got married to my husband, we, you know, we do a vow at, at the end in the church until death. Um, until do, do us part. Yeah. Yes. And we both said to the priest, uh, do not put that in there because we don't believe death will separate us. Mm. So we both had that. Um, thing around death already then, you know, and I always thought I would die very young and somehow I had that idea always and then it turned out that he died actually very mm. young. So yeah. death has been really a, a guide through my whole life. 
you know, and had, has been the first initiation into wanting to wake up to something different than, you know, what are we here for? Which yeah. is the important question. Yes. What are we here for? Yeah, or what's the meaning yeah. of my life? Yes. Or what, what is really my potential? You know, what, what do I want to live before this is all finished, in that form at least? Yeah. yeah. And one thing that must have been confusing for you when you were young was you didn't know who your real father was until yeah. you were 11 years old and you were with him and he said, I'm your dad. Yeah, that was, of course, very confusing and it created some of of my personality structure, what is, um, I, I didn't know where I belong to, you know, I, it was unclear who do I belong to. I had three stepbrothers uh, and sisters and I had one real brother and my real brother lived with my father. So I felt a, a sense of, um, there was a sense of anxiousness around where do I belong, mm. you know, where's home? And I always, um, I battled with that for my, for my whole life. You know, it's like, yeah. is this really home? Is my father my home? Had the great advantage that I then disconnected from my family quite early. So I went to boarding school and I was, it was quite easy for me to let go and to find something. It made me look. Well, where, where do I really want to be? Yeah. Did you, did you, you must have wondered a lot when you were young who your real father was. Yes. It must have, must well, I have. had a stepfather. Yes. And he was my stepfather, but I thought he was my real father. Oh, I see. I didn't know he okay. was my stepfather. So that must have been a shock when you found yeah, that out. That was a total shock. Yes. And of course, as a kid, you always feel something something isn't right, you know that, inside of yourself, you know, because yeah. my brother used to come for holidays and he was my brother and he lived with somebody else. And so there was confusion, where do I belong to really? Mm. You know, where, where's, where in myself am I at home? And that, I guess, amongst many other things, put me really into searching and looking for what is my real home inside of me, mm. you know, and of course it happened through painful experiences. That wasn't easy, it was um, painful, but also good. So you got married quite young, yes. and you married a prince and you became a princess. <laughs> so you, that must have been extraordinary, actually. It was extraordinary. Yes. Yeah, a complete yes. change in your life. Yes, totally. Yeah. We were uh, school lovers. And we were first-time lovers from, we met in boarding school, and it just was a big love story and got bigger and bigger and bigger until we then got married. And of course, I was a, I'm a commoner. I was in no way the right match for him, according to his parents, you know. They, of course, wanted him to marry somebody more equal. But our love was so big, so it couldn't stop us. You know, so I came into that world and of course he invited me into it and we were part of his family and invitation to all kinds of royal houses. And we did that maybe for a few years and then came a, a point where I where we I said, you know, this this can't be it. This 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 world is so empty. 
You know, I just yeah. feel there is something else. And he felt that himself very much. Because for so many people, for women to think that I'm going to marry a prince and become a princess, they think, well, this is everything I could ever dream of. And you, and you yeah. had that dream and very young. Yeah. And you found out it was relatively empty in the end. Yes. But yeah. um, of course, in the beginning, it's the big dream, you know, yeah. and you, you are... And he was the prince on the white horse, and he was a very beautiful, beautiful man who really had all these qualities also. Yes. You know, so in our love, I never got disappointed, but in all the stuff around, the family stuff, the conventional stuff, what you do, what you don't do, you know, it's a whole different set of rules that is very, very limiting. And, and it's just from, you get from one mask to another mask, you know. And we both went into, when, when our daughter was born, we both went like, you know, the, the, let's leave all this behind. Yes, yeah, so you got involved with the demonstrations with yeah. the student uprising in Germany. Yes, of course, we were against the Vietnam War. Yes. We threw out all the, the royal uh, beds and lamps and everything. And really? we put the mattresses on the floor. And oh, really? we had long hair. Yeah. And um, I mean, we really went against the whole thing to the complete dismay and uproar from my in-laws and my parents. Yeah. Everybody was like, what are you doing? Yeah. And we decided to bring up our daughter with free anti-authoritarian education what was then the big thing you know so they could sleep as long as they wanted and we really listened to them and no rules and regulations yeah so what was the other side of how we got brought up and we went on the street and screamed you know against the Vietnam War and everything you did at 1970 until when our daughter was there, I realized very, very early on that in order to really love a, love a child, you, I have to have love. I have to have unconditional love. You know, a child demands everything of you. Yes. And I found I was 21 years old. My husband was 22. We were very young. We were very unexperienced. So I found out the love that I would like to give, I don't, got, I ha, I don't have myself, mm. you know, and that put me into a huge inner um, loss, missing um, deficiency. You know, I felt like I had to, uh, there's something else that I don't have. I haven't gotten the love myself. Mm. So that then makes me, made me go into therapy, you know, and then I started to do the very first group in Germany in 70-something, 70 71. And that was the first time I ever really cried. You know, I was sitting there and I cried and cried and cried and cried. And that was something unheard of, you know, to cry and to really allow yourself to have feelings was like, it was a revolution in my life. And then I realized the change has to come from the inside. Mm -hmm. It can't happen to the outside, you know. You can scream against all and everything, but unless I have dealt with my inner stuff, my inner, you know, losses and loss of love and angers and resentments, nothing will change. And then you moved to a community called Zist, which I visited actually a few years ago, which is in southern Germany mm. with your husband, obviously, and your daughter, and you lived for nine months, I think, communally, and you worked on yourself and various kinds of groups and encounter groups, which are quite challenging. And 
Just, tell, just talk through briefly about that time. Well, it was a very revolutionary time because there was the, just the beginning when Esalen got created, there was Quesito here in London, yes. you know, I think, you know, community was just created. And then this guy, uh, Wolf, he created Zist with a similar model. And we were like uh, 10 couples who came together, but we also lived together. We had the children together, so we really lived communally. And we experimented with living together and doing regular work on ourselves. So I did intensive Gestalt therapy. Alan Watts came there and did an introduction to a meditation evening that touched me. Um, we worked with Bionergetic. We did Primal Scream, you know, until, you know, the end of the day. We, we went into everything completely. Very total, weren't yes. you? Yeah. And it was so new then. Yes. It was a revolution. You know, it was really like, it was very, very... Um, it was like, wow, it was not heard of, you know, and the kids lived together in the kids' house and, and we cooked together and we danced together and, you know, listened to music together. It was a revolution for where we came from, from a very structured and very tight life, you know, with rules and suddenly there was space to, to connect, to love, to be. A yeah. great feeling of freedom, I would yes. imagine. Yeah, total. That was really yeah. amazing. And, you know, swimming in the lake and having the kids with us. And, and it was just a wonderful time of inner exploration that really freed up so many of our conditionings. You know, dealing with anger. And I felt after the nine months, I really for, forgiven my parents and I, I felt free from my conditioning. Um, or my parental conditioning, let's say. Yeah. The first step. Yes. And then you, you heard about this Indian guru called Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and that touched something in you. And although you didn't go directly to see him, you decided with your husband you're going to buy a Volkswagen bus and drive from Germany to Tibet. That's an extraordinarily brave thing to do. Okay, now it would be impossible, really. Yeah. It's suicidal now, but even yeah, yeah, so, yeah. at that time you had to go through Turkey and Pakistan and Iran, uh, Afghanistan to Tibet. It's just extraordinary to have the courage to do that. Yeah. That, that was the same thing again. When we finished with the nine months, I thought at one point, I, I have dealt with my story. I've, I felt like I cleaned up my conditioning. You know, I know a little bit more who I am. I unfrozen my shrunkenness or icedness. And um, one of my nicknames was the Ice Princess. So I felt like it melted slowly, you know, and I became more human. More, Is that more... what the press gave you, the Ice Princess? <laughs> no, that no. was in groups. In groups, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then... Then I felt like, but I haven't really learned how to die. You know, I still have that anxiety about dying. Yeah, what will happen when we die? Yeah. And that then made us, within two weeks, we sold everything. Not that we had a lot, but what we had, we sold. We bought a Mercedes bus, a little bit bigger than a VW. And then we went overland to India, to Damsala. Right. We just did it. And every, everybody was, of course, horrified. His family, my family, you know. People were like, how can you do it with a five-year-old child? Yeah, how can you do that without any security, nothing? And 
comparatively little money, you know, no mobiles yet or emergency calls. Yeah. It didn't exist then. So we just left and it, of course it was one of the most adventurous and beautiful journeys that we have done together. Yeah, and we had many amazing meetings on that, dangerous meetings and um, I know in Afghanistan, I remember we were at, at the border, very small border, hardly existing border. And then the guy were trying to, to uh, take our daughter out of the car because she was very blonde and had blonde hair. And for them, that was like an angel. And they wanted to exchange it with one of their kids. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just wanted to touch and to, huh. to feel it. You know, for them, that was like... It, it, wasn't, it wasn't common then, you know, that yeah. tourists would drive through the country. Yes. You know? And we, we met a Sufi master who invited us to his little hut out in, out in the desert and, and offered us his amazing uh, cream and tea and milk and just welcomed us and told us where we should go next. Just like in the old days, you know, just like you, you read in books, it all happened. And by the time we went to India, we then arrived in Dhamsala where I love to be, we both love to be there. And we had the address of a Tibetan, uh, the, the teacher of the Dalai Lama. We were meant to go and study with him. And we arrived there, we met the sister of the Dalai Lama then, who, uh, who just created the Tibetan village for the kids. And they said this teacher had just uh, been called to Zurich to be the head of the Zurich Tibetan monastery two weeks ago. So, we missed him by yeah. two weeks, having gone for months to, to get exactly. there. Exactly. Yeah. So then we had another, we went to another place in Nepal where we had another address from a, another monk, a Chinese monk. He also had just left to, to go because his mother died, had gone to China. And then we stood there and then I said, I just want to see one of these guys. One of, I want to sit in the presence of one of these men. And then let's go to Pune and check out, you know, Bhagwan at the time. And my husband first said, no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> I said, well, I don't know of any other, so let's go there. He said, okay, I'll come with you and I'll stay in the hotel then and I'll wait for you. Yeah. And of course, he didn't stay in the hotel. We became sannyasins, you know. So you went there, you became disciples of Bhagwan. Yes. And you actually spent several years there, didn't you? Yes, yeah. We gave up everything came back home the first time in orange robes, you know, to Munich, long robes. Yeah. My husband had long beard, long hair, <laughs> long dresses. There's a picture of Bhagwan. picture of Bhagwan around, around there. Yeah. You can imagine how his father thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> they were horrified. It's brave to do it, though, but it's following yeah. your truth, isn't it? And that's exactly. what you had. We did. You, you, you had this quest to find out what was true for you. Yes. And when I, when I sat with Bhagwan the first time, he talked about Jesus and it just left, it, it really hit me so strong in my heart. He talked about the night before Jesus was, um, they picked him up to become imprisoned, the last night he has with his disciples. And he's, I think he's telling them to pray and basically they all fall asleep. Yeah. And I, I was sitting there and I thought, He's just one of those guys again. And this time I'm not going to fall asleep and abandon him again. 
it was a very strong feeling of being in that same vibration, that same energy of one of these enlightened men. Mm -hmm. And that I've been waiting for this my whole lifetime, you know. Yeah. I felt like I've come home in many ways, you know. And what did that mean for you inside, not falling asleep? Not falling asleep meant for me not going back to old ways of behavior, mm. to be a, a coward and, you know, because once you go on that path, you have to have a lot of courage to stand mm. up for who you are. Yes. Your society in general wants you to go back to their belief system, to what they feel comfortable with. Once you step out of the box, you can be quite on your own sometimes. Mm. You know, so it, it meant to have the courage to really stand up for that and not duck down and not collapse, you know, to really walk that path and stand in it no matter what comes. And then your husband suddenly died in yes. Pune. Extraordinary shock. Yeah. You found what you're looking for in many ways and then something is taken away. Yeah, that was, of course, a real big shock when he, he very suddenly, and of course he was young, what I thought I would do, he then did, you know, and yeah. that was maybe one of the biggest shocks in my life. I, I remember it like every day. I was just, it was just so unbelievable or unheard of that something like that can happen, just like that, mm. you know. So, You know, we, he, he, it only, he was in the body for another six days and then he was gone. You know? And we sat with him, we meditated with him. There was a great support from the whole community there, from the ashram. You know, Osho gave it a lot, a lot of um, love and presence. You and should explain that Bhagwan changed his name to Osho later. So when you oh, say yeah. Osho, you mean, as he was then Bhagwan, yeah. Yeah, he was then Bhagwan. So it was on, on one hand the most unbelievable experience. I, thought I was very, very shocked. And on the other hand, also the most beautiful. Because before we, the, the, in the first time we went to Pune, Bhagwan talked about a young woman died and he gave us a whole talk on how to deal with death. And what he brought in was to say that death, death needs to be celebrated. You know, if we are too sad and too heavy, the, the soul can't really leave. Mm. They can't really go. So, that's so that important, that. So, yeah. the message is that if there's too much grief, and that you obviously experienced with your grandmother when you were six years old, exactly. then the soul is possibly still hanging around. If there's a celebration and an openness and a joy, then somehow the soul can move on. Exactly. It's a very interesting point, that. Yeah, a very important point yes. for me that, of yeah. course, made a huge shift to how I experienced it, like you said, in the past, you know. Yeah. Osho said, really, and we used to go down to the river, carry the person on a, on a stretcher, sing and dance, and then you see them also burning, what you also don't see here. You know, what's very, very important to really see this person disappear in it's fire. It's a finality, isn't it? You yeah. see it physically. I guess you smell the yeah. flesh burning. It's kind of, it's very sensuous in yes. one way. Very yeah. sensuous and it's real. You, you really see this person and 
every piece of wood you put on there and you see that body that you loved yeah. dearly and deeply and all this goes, you know, and then the next morning you come there and ashes yeah. Yeah, are left over, you know. So it's such an existential but also a real experience. Here it is so, so removed from death, you know, so far away. Mm. And it's so connected then to rituals, church, sadness, darkness. And in India, it was just like a, a um, reason for celebration. It's part of life. It's accepted as part yeah, of life, exactly. isn't it? It's a cycle. Yeah. And also death as something, not like something, the end, but it's the beginning of a new state of consciousness, mm. you know, of the new part of the journey. And how, how is the, you know, it's very easy to talk about this for... You know, I know you've, you've been through it, obviously, and, it, and it's a long time ago, but how did it feel, how did you integrate that at the time, insofar as, that is, you had the support system, but you still have the human feelings of grief and loss and everything else. How was that for you at the time? Um, of course, it, it was, in, in one way, one of the big shifting times in my life. In, in one way, it was a really enormous grief, but it wasn't just only grief. It was also, for me, the ending of a particular of me as a wife, of me as the, uh, uh, the married person. There, there were, you know, in a way, I felt like I belonged in my identity to him, and all that suddenly disappeared with it. So it wasn't just only grief, but it was also, I felt like something in me got born that was um, very, in a way, very small still. I felt like I came into my own, in, in a way. You know, I came into a presence of myself that I had not experienced before. But it was, of course, the grief was all part of it. Mm. You know, and the grief is part of that loss. It's not like you can't meditate it away. It just is what is present in that moment, you know, and that's very, very strong. But I felt like always for me to learn to accept it and not try to run away from it. Mm. Yeah, to really, to really feel that, be with that grief, and at the same time, it takes you to a deeper place. Mm. You know, so it was very important to learn to accept it and not to run away from it. Yeah? Not to try to deny it or pretend it's not there or meditate it away, even though, of course, I, I meditated regularly. You know, not to, not to go into a split-off place with it. That has been my work anyway for my whole life, is, is to learn how to accept and be with whatever comes. You know, and no matter how deep the pain is, it will... It will take me to a bigger place once I allow and accept it. Talk a bit more about this bigger place you feel you come to when you, through acceptance. Well, whenever I really stay with it and really be with it, there comes usually a place, let's say I have a lot of grief, a loss, there comes a deep loss, and then usually what I experience, I come to a deeper place and there's an emptiness there. Yeah, and of course over the years more and more I learned how to tolerate that emptiness, you know, not to try to 
fill it up or make something out of it. Because in the beginning, it's a bit scary. I could only handle a little bit of emptiness. Then I had mm. to go back into, you know, doing something. Yeah. So once I hang in there long enough in that place, and for me, acceptance is always the key, then it transforms into beingness. It transforms into a, a quality of beingness. And even that are just words, but it's just, it's a feelable thing in my body where I feel present and I feel I'm here. Yeah, in a very feelable way, in a, in a body way. So it's almost as if you are, you're here, but you're not governed or influenced by all the, all the, the, the chatter in the brain and, yeah. and the sensations and everything. There's something, there's a core there. There's a eunice there that is always there that you get back in touch with. It. Is that yes. right? Yes. Yeah. And even something bigger, sometimes it's even, it brings you, you know, they, they, they call it from my will be done to thy will be done. You mm. know, it's, it's a space where, where I then, especially with the death where I feel like something bigger is, is really taking care, you know. I contain, but then I am contained by something bigger. Mm. Yeah, I'm held by something bigger. Mm. Of course, you can call that whatever. They're just words, but that's the feeling. Yeah, you and know? there is tremendous freedom in that, isn't yes. there? Yes, yeah. but I, I, you really have to, for me, it's so important to go through the pain and not deny it, you yes. know, and, not to, and also not to stay stuck with it. It's yeah. a fine balance. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's very, very, very fine inner. And of course, I learned over the years to be more at home with those states. You know, at the beginning, I couldn't tolerate that much. You know, mm. then I had an experience and then I had to go back to a, to a more clear shrunkenness because that felt like a safer place. Yeah, but the older I get, the more experience I have, the more I can let that really, I can trust that that will happen, you know? That pain or anger or... Um, it's not things I have to run away from, yeah? I can just welcome them. Mm. That, in a way, has been my work always, to welcome whatever comes, you know? To welcome all our split-off places, you know? And not to try to be enlightened too early. <laughs> Everything has its course, doesn't yes. it? Has its flow. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you, your next big adventure with death, I guess, was when Osho finally died. We're obviously skipping a lot of years here, but the time is definitely finite in this interview. So how was that when Osho finally died? You'd spent many years in the community. You moved to America or the ranch in Oregon, and you were a senior therapist there, and very much that was your world. And then... He dies. How was that death for you? Well, of course, in one way, he prepared us for that right from the beginning. Mm. When I came, he was already close to dying. And we always thought he would leave his body very, very soon. And then when it finally happened, it was a strange mixture of feeling a complete loss you know, because this is, was my life for 30 years, to 
be a disciple or a devotee and sit with him and love him. Really, what happened through it was my life got transformed in so many ways through being with him and living in that community. And a huge loss and also some, I felt also some sense of freedom. I felt in some way he's now setting you free. You know, I don't know where I come from, but it came clearly, you know, with both things. And then, of course, because I lived there so long, so I stayed for another three, three more years in the commune. And then there came a time when I felt like it, it, I just had to go out and live on my own. I had to just let all that go. You know, there, were, there was a certain identity in it, and I felt there's a stuckness in the way how I functioned mm. there. It's old and it's known, even though it's a spiritual community, but something in me was, with it was old and too fixed. Not, I, I felt like I wasn't growing anymore. And that's, that's uh, again, that's a courageous move, because here you are, you've been in the community for so many years, <clears throat> and you're faced then with going out in the world and earning your own money and looking after those details which were always taking care for you. Yeah, it was, it was a real courageous move. <laughs> even when I look at it back today, it was very courageous. Because, I mean, I had never even made my own money and I had never even written a rental contract yeah, or uh, rented out a flat or had my own bank account or all those things that other people all have done, you know. Mm. It was like lived in a monastery for 30 years and suddenly coming into the world and doing all these things. I was very, very challenged. It was, in the beginning, it was really difficult and I felt it, I just felt challenged and it felt, it was, um, but also there was a place in me where I also felt like it was also freedom, both. Mm. And I was again both. It was just only, I went through places of loneliness and missing and all my friends being still in Pune and they're doing this and that together and suddenly being there on my own was a, it was a, it was just right, you know. It, I felt like my soul, that's what needed to happen. Mm. Yeah, and at the point I was willing to face all the stuff that came with it, and of course it was painful at times. Yes, it's part of part of transition, part of when you break away from something old. It's never just rosy posy, you know. It, it was. I had to look at so many things in myself, but it it was good. It needed to happen. And then one thing you were telling me last night was that you spent a little time with Yuji Krishnamurti. Oh, yeah. It's not to be confused with Jay Krishnamurti, Jiddu Krishnamurti, and that's someone I met as well many years ago. He's dead now, and he was a very controversial, I guess he, we call him a guru, although he wouldn't accept that term at all. Just tell us briefly how it was to be with him, the short time you spent with him, and what, or how that was for you. Well, what was, at, at the time for me, revolutionary after having been with Osho was that he was so available. You know, you could walk in with him any time of the day, you know, in the morning at five o'clock or in the night at 11 o'clock, and he would just be uh, reachable, available in a particular way. And of course, with Osho, it, it had never been like that, you know, because there were so many people and he wasn't available on that personal level in the same way, even though I've seen him sometimes, but it, it 
there were there was more separation there. And Yuji was like completely normal. You know, he just didn't pretend to be anything or he did not do any big hoo-hahs. You know, he dressed normal and he was very, very funny at times. And uh, he just was who he is. Yeah. And that was very freeing for me. You know, but I, I said it last night. I remember that when we came up the hill, it was in Switzerland, in Stadt, and he would stand up there, this little guy, and looked at us and he said, I don't know why you're coming up here. I have nothing to give to you, nothing at all. You know, I feel sorry you're making all that effort coming <laughs> up here, you know. And he said it, it was, but it was so heartwarming and, of course, also true. Yeah, he pointed the direction to where I actually in myself had to go, you know, and that was, it was true. I had to really find it in myself. Yes. I would have, he could not give me what I was looking but for. But he resonated something, didn't he? That's yes. what I found. That yes. It was that resonation that was the important thing, and it wasn't what he said because he's talking exactly. rubbish some of the time. But Yeah, uh, yeah, he could talk. <laughs> there was a certain presence without necessarily him trying to have a presence, but there was was something there. Yeah, he, and, and he was just very, you know, he was who he was. He was real. He knew that's how he was. Yeah, he would tell all the stories that happened to him for his calamity, or he described what ex he experienced in his body while it happened. He always said, if you would know what it is, you would never want yeah. it. He called enlightenment a calamity. Yes, Because it was so exactly. radical in what happened. And yeah, yeah. And when, when we had too many people come in, he would always say, oh, it's too many people here. I don't like all these disciples, you know, and, and all these, you know, sannyasins. And I'd, when there are too many people, he would just disappear and then be gone. And then he'll come back after three or four days. And he rented a room in the, in the red district in Zurich. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just in the middle of it, and that was so typical Yuji. You know, yeah. he just wanted to get away from everybody. He didn't want to have everybody following him and asking yeah. him constant questions. And at the same time, he was very, very present and there. Yeah. And his yeah. books, for anybody listening, his books—it's Yuji Krishnamurti. Are just they're great reads because they're so different from what you'd expect yeah. from a normal spiritual book. And then you spent some time with Faisal when you uh, introduced the, the world of inquiry. And that was very important to you at that time, wasn't it? Just, yes. Just tell us more about the inquiry and, and how that was for you. The work, in a way, was a revelation. It was like 95 we started working with him because for the first time I thought it brought meditation and it had a language between meditation and therapy. You know, he introduced us to there are different states of essence or different states of being and they each are embodied and they each have a different feel to it. Yeah? Until then, I always thought there is either mind or no mind. You know, you're either beyond your ego and beyond your body. Mm -hmm. You go, you know, the truth is beyond the mind, beyond the heart, beyond the body, or you're in the body, you're in your personality, you know, so... And when he came in with a teaching, it was like there is something in between, yeah, and what I would call states of being. And these states of being are actually essences that can be felt, that can be tasted, that are actually livable in the body, you know. And he introduced us to all that, and that made 
really enriched my life very, very much. I, I loved the teaching. He made us teachers immediately, so I still teach some of it today. Because I think it's a very, very important part in therapy what him and Almas created. You know, they really, I felt like they really brought something in that is part of the evolution that is happening right now in around therapy and around consciousness and around transformation. And so just, just, just again briefly, just talk, what, what is inquiry? What is inquiry for you? What does that mean to you? How do you practice inquiry? Inquiry for me is, it, it is again, it's looking inside and going within and allowing myself, and that was always one of my, my big sentences with Osho was always like, um, not knowing is the most intimate. Yeah, I come to a place where I don't know and yet I spiral in and see what shows up next. You know, it's almost like going in a spiral that goes deeper and deeper without knowing what the outcome will be. So mm. it's not about the outcome, it's about the process of the journey of going within and discovering what is there, you know, and to even look, how do you sense what is emptiness? You know, it was such a wonderful, mm. wonderful inquiry. What is emptiness? What does that feel like? Yeah, how, how do you experience it in your body? Yeah, and that, that's, that's how I feel it. And then it brings me to, in myself, to a ground of being, I call it, you know, an inner ground of being. Yeah, that is feelable, that is in the body, and that is very present. Mm. And this ground of being, you mentioned this before, this is something in a way that we're all, yeah. us seekers, if you like, are all trying to find in our own way, and there's so many paths there. And when you find it, somewhere you know, you kind yes. of, you mentioned earlier, it's like a home. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm racing through it, I know. Yeah, I, want I, to know. Get, I want you so much you've done in your very rich life. I want to cover, give people a taste of yeah, different so aspects. Much it's, it's a nice thing when you get older. <laughs> <laughs> and you also, um, you went to, um, it's called a university, it's a different university obviously, in southern India. And it was something Yuji said to you, you were telling me earlier, that um, one day you need to stop for a time. And you went there and you did a meditation which was basically just lying down for three weeks. Yeah. How was that? <laughs> Sounds so bizarre when you hear it, no? They, they do a, a retreat where you're basically alone in your room and you lie down for three weeks and you get a little bit of teaching but very, very little. And you just um, meditate lying down. Or it's not even meditate, you just let happen what happens. You know, and it first, of course, you get, I got fidgety because I'm used to sit and meditate and do it purposeful and have a certain discipline and practice. Yeah. But by the end, what started to happen, I started to relax. First, I slept for three days nonstop. I was so exhausted. All my exhaustion came through in my body. And then I moved into deeper and deeper and deeper spaces in myself. And eventually, I really... There was a meditation on moving into the heart and feeling the suffering of the world. And I had some very, very 
profound opening in my heart where I fell into a huge black space, into a huge darkness that I usually run away from when that darkness comes, really black, black space. And then by staying with it, and that relaxed space gave me the courage to be with it, then that opened up in a vast, vast space of peacefulness or emptiness or fullness or don't even know how to say it. It was just a really big, huge vastness, you know, it's like as if I couldn't open up my arms wide enough to let that happen. And in that, something inside of my, my whole personality, my whole system got shifted. But I didn't even notice it in the beginning. I, it wasn't even like, oh yeah, what is that? I just noticed when I came back home later then, that certain things in my personality had just, um, I had forgotten about. You know, I used to, for instance, be very, very, be very, very jealous and very um, extremely jealous. And suddenly I didn't feel that anymore. It was gone. It was something that I battled with my whole life. You know, I was very jealous and very possessive. Suddenly it was fine. Mm. I would just be alone. So it drops being, away with you doing nothing about yes, it, in effect. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then everything, and then I understood because, of course, I have a certain structure and I, I want to do it right and meditation and suddenly I understood that actually relaxation as Osho always said equals deep total relaxation equals really is like enlightenment mm. you know there's something in that complete letting go yeah of no structure no have to no you should no nothing just let it you know just trust that you will be guided into the right space. That was really, it was mind-blowing. And even today yeah. when I meditate, or I don't do it in a structure, but when it happens, I often do it with lying down. And it connects me deeply to that space, you know. So for the last few years you've been doing these workshops called The Path of Love. So what happens at the Path of Love workshops? <laughs> Path of Love is, we've been doing it since 95, and it's a process that I created together with Rafia, my working partner, and a group of friends. And it's a seven-day intensive where we, it's a way in a, it's a group about your, our existential realities, you know, it's about asking yourself, have you really, you know, what are you, what are we here for? Yeah, and it works with um, awakening people's longings, you know, and of course in my experiences, once people start to long, once you feel that discontent, that longing will take you where you need to go, it will take you home, you know, as it did for all of us. Yeah. So we really bring presence to the longing, uh, we bring presence to the heart, and then we look at how we get lost we lose our longing because we get lost in laziness and into our lives and relationships and, and, and the rest of it. So we bring that into presence, then we work with exposure, with honesty. I found a lot of the work with the heart is we shut down. People get so re resigned and depressed because they just have a big 
woundedness in there that they just can't handle to be with. You know, and once you welcome that, you open up to that, then we can go again to a deeper place. Yeah. And then, so exposure and honesty helps us to be real, not to be cut off, not to be dissociated. You know. And then from there we move into what we call prayer, where you just open yourself up to existence. Mm. So it's a seven days, very very intense, but it's a really it's a really life changing process has been for many people. And what happens for you when you do these workshops? Because I know you're working a lot, you've been doing it for many years. It must also impact you. Yes, it does. They all impact me, of course. You know, but when um, when, when I work, there's a particular place when I work. I come to a place when I don't know what I do. You know, and often okay. people ask me, what actually do you do? How did you do that? And I said, I don't know what I did. I have no idea. I just, it happens, something comes in, it comes through me, it comes completely out of nowhere, and I'm in a flow, you know, and I know exactly what needs to happen in that moment. I know how I can help that person. And I know exactly where their, their, um, their point is, where something needs to be, where something is able to open up. I can just see it in that moment, but it's completely mindless. And when I'm in that flow space, it is just so um, delicious. You know? So it's almost as if it's working through you. It is yes. you, but it's also working through you. Yeah. And it's like, I've heard this before when people say that, it's almost like a laser Yes. Beam comes and it's so accurate. Yeah. And yet you're not you're not thinking what you're doing, are you? Yes, exactly. But it gives me when it happens, it is such an experience of gratitude, gratefulness, or joyfulness, or okay. the joyfulness. It's the lightness of being. You know, then I can move with. I will know how long to be there, and then move to somebody else, and I know how long to be there. It's completely not structured by any form or any shoulds or any 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 um, concepts, it's beyond concepts. Mm. Of course, very hard to describe afterwards what happened and why you did it, but I know it works because I see what happens to people. People get completely transformed through it. Mm. You know, you really hit the right place and then when you see people suddenly come to their potential or opening up to their real biggest potential, it is such a joy, yeah. you know, to give something back. I feel like we received so much in, in, in my life. My God, I feel so grateful for everything I have received. And I am happy to give it back yeah? and, and to help people to, to find their most biggest potential here. Yeah. yeah. As, uh, as you're talking, I'm just thinking all the things you've done over the years, all the adventures and the, the workshops that you've attended and given everything, it's almost like it's... Is somehow distilled down, isn't it? And it's, it's kind of yeah. now comes through you without necessarily a conscious process. But all that experience and all those things that have happened to you is able mm. to, to help other people. Yeah. And that's why I really had to step out also on my own because I needed to, before I was always doing Osho's work. And today it is something even, it is more than just that. You know, yes. I am... I mean, it's not even Turiya's work, but something else happens there and that I needed to free myself from that up too, yeah, to be able to go where I'm going today with it. You know, it's very important. So we have about 
three minutes left now. <laughs> how, how are you with death now? We started with death and we talked about how it was for your biggest love, your husband dying. How is death for you now? Um, well, I have no idea what will happen when I'm really in front of it. And I, you know, of course, work with many people who are, when they're facing it, it's a whole different story than what they thought it would be. Um, but I feel like I have prepared myself. I feel like I lived a very rich life. You know, I feel like I know what I came here for. Like I am, my potential is, is um, in the process of awakening. You know? And um, right now all I, can, all I feel is like a huge gratitude and ready to go. Yeah, that's the feeling inside. How it actually will be when it really does happen, I don't know. Mm. You know, I really don't know. So, but I'm more more happy. I mean, I feel a certain level of anxiety that I used to have has gone. That's right. One thing we don't really have time to cover, but I mentioned it briefly, was you did the the Peter Levine trauma work, didn't yeah. you? Somatic work, which had a big impact to you with, with fear and anxiety. Yeah, that really worked on that whole dissociated, fragmented part of my deeper inner anxiety and that, that really, really healed that part very, very mm. amazingly, you know, this mm. wonderful work, another, another piece. Another, mm. another piece of the puzzle, if you like. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, we're going to finish here, but uh, for people watching on the internet, there's going to be a short meditation that Taria will lead afterwards that you can stay for if you want. I want to thank you for coming on to Conscious TV. I've really enjoyed your uh, talking to you because we've covered many different things. And the, the theme of death, I think, is an important one, which isn't always addressed in spiritual areas. And it's somehow we've looked at it and we started with it, we ended in it with it. And... Mm. It's ongoing because we don't know what's going to happen eventually, do yeah, we? Exactly. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoy our field that we created together. We created a yeah. field, I yes. felt that. And, and you are... a life and, and kind of, you know, new and unknown. I had no idea where it's going and I love that because it means something, a life can happen. Yeah? Yes. So and you are writing a book, aren't you? It's not finished yet. No. You're writing a book and people should look out for that maybe. Yeah, yeah. Next year. It's in the process. Yeah, As I good. said, it just happens and then it's hard for me to say actually to put it on on paper, you know. But yeah. Well I've seen parts of it, it looks good to me, that's all I can say. Yeah. Oh thank you. Thank you so much. Thank okay, Taria, thank you for coming and thank you for, to everybody again for watching Conscious TV and I really hope we see you again soon. Goodbye.